that's what makes it so exciting though, <laughs> because it really, it's not just that we're, you know, slapping a different label on something that is kind of the same product that has always been out there. It's something that's totally different. And then I think even for, even for our customers, that's something that has been powerful and that they can feel like they're taking part in revolutionizing an industry. Mm -hmm. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. All right, welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. I'm so excited today because I have the founder of one of my favorite brands joining us as a guest. So I want to welcome Haley Russell. She's the founder and CEO of Chippin, which is a relatively new pet nutrition company that I think is really going to change the way we talk about pet food. So welcome to the podcast, Haley. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really yeah, excited so, to dig in. Yeah, me too. So why don't you just give us a little bit of background about Chippin and then sort of how you wound up here versus any other million jobs you could have had. <laughs> Absolutely. So we're Chippin. We craft high quality pet nutrition that is powered by planet-friendly proteins. And so really the insight was that when it comes to pet nutrition, I couldn't find something that was high quality, tasty, and better for the planet. And so I decided to make it. And the way that we go about crafting nutrition that's better for our four-legged family members and better for the planet is by tapping into a suite of proteins that include things like insects, invasive species, and algae. And so we really are out to redefine the pet food system by reimagining how we source ingredients and then include them in food to drive the best quality nutrition that we can while helping save the planet. So I'm interested to hear a little bit about how you determine what ingredients are the best protein ingredients for pets. Because if I thought about that, I would go to the traditional human sources of protein. So can you just talk a little bit about how you decided which proteins to use? Absolutely. So first off, one of the reasons why we focus on protein at least to start is because if you look at protein from a nutrition standpoint, it's critically important and has been something that in the past there's been inclusion of protein sources that may be from dead, dying, or diseased animals in pet food. It's really been the scraps or it's been proteins that are laden with antibiotics. They're really not healthy stuff, mystery meats as it were. And then in addition, nutrition side of the protein problem within pet food, if you consider all of our USA pets as their own country, they rank fifth in global meat consumption. So the USA pets <laughs> eat more meat than the vast majority of people in other countries. Wow. That's pretty wild to hear. It is wild. And so when I saw that there was both a health and real sustainability problem within pet food, I thought it was insane that human food has been reimagined. Everything from our shoes to our shirts has changed when it comes to quality and sustainability, but pet food had been left behind. 
And what I found was much like what you brought up is it's because it's a little bit harder. You can't take the same roadmap that people have taken for human food by replacing chicken or beef with maybe pea protein or cauliflower, other ingredients that really won't work as well for dogs or certainly not cats. And so we had to look outside any existing model and look to what we identified as true superfoods from a nutrition standpoint that were being underutilized. And so we started with cricket protein and then expanded into an invasive fish and then an algae, spirulina. But the process that we went through was to first confirm that we could drive the same, if not better, nutrition experience than you could in comparison to say chicken. So all of our proteins are more digestible than chicken. They have all the essential amino acids that our furry family members need and they taste great. So taste great is interesting because I think, how do you know? Just because the pets eat them and love them? Yeah, you have a very binary response with a pet. So whereas maybe with a plant-based patty, a person who's really passionate about the cause maybe willing to kind of eat something that that isn't quite there yet. A dog is going to simply refuse a product if it's not tasty. That's really interesting. I think, so let's talk about the kind of protein. So dogs tell you what they like, obviously, and cats because they eat it. And there's no bias, right? If you told a human they were going to eat cricket protein, they would be like, they wouldn't matter what it tasted like because they would automatically think something. So I think it's interesting because I was at a conference, I told you this, where Cricket protein was predicted to be one of the big human trends and it didn't happen. But talk about how you wound up figuring out that cricket protein was a good source for dogs and cats. Yeah. So I probably was at one of those same conferences. I heard a lot about cricket protein for people. I was super interested and I was doing a lot of my own research on the supply chain and and testing things out. Kind of one of the initial sparks of inspiration was that I saw my dog like to eat cricket protein, my golden doodle bread. It was really picky. And that set me on a path of, I'd always been thinking about the foods that we were feeding for pets and how they didn't really align with what my family was eating at the dinner table, but didn't know of any other option. And so um, seeing that my dog liked to eat a cricket was a kind of spark for, oh, maybe the application that we've all been thinking about for this wonderfully nutrient-rich source of protein is off. And perhaps our our pets could be the mm-hmm. ones that without sacrificing anything from a nutrition standpoint, we could yeah. empower to enjoy and help reduce the eco-paw print by giving them this protein source. I think what really sealed the deal for me then was learning that beef and chicken are the top allergens for pets was just kind of, okay, this is a no brainer because we actually need to also from a health standpoint, find an alternative for our pets. So how do you communicate that to pet owners who might just not know? I think there are always going to be a couple different consumer types. So every customer's journey and finding chip in and, and learning about it is going to be somewhat unique. And then there are a couple of different categories that they fall into. And so from a communication standpoint, we always work to express both the health and the eco benefits of any protein that we're including. But I think that there are 
a few segments of consumers who are desperately searching for something else that is not beef or chicken or, or pork based and coming across chippin is an incredible relief and exciting opportunity for them. And so the pet parent does a dog with allergies and can't find anything else. The pet parent that may be vegan and is really uncomfortable every single day having to pour out a pork kibble or then the pet parent that has a dog that's super picky and will not eat the food that they're serving him or her anymore. That's so interesting. It's so innovative what you're doing. And I just, I think with that kind of innovation comes some level of need for, to educate because we're so lost on dogs. I think we're lost on how, what's exactly right for our pets. There are people that try to feed their pets human food. And I always mix in some human food because I feel guilty. Like why should my dogs eat the same bowl of kibble every single meal? It's, it seems crazy, but you, I don't think people know what to do with them. I think there are two things there. First, on the innovation side of things, one of the things that we've tried to be really mindful about in the product development process is to innovate on the protein, to innovate on a holistic health offering that reduces our water use and our emissions, but to keep in general the format something that is easily understandable and yeah looks like a normal dog treat or food so that it's not confusing for either the pet parent or the dog. That's interesting. How did you wind up here? What were you thinking you were going to do with yourself from a work perspective? Did you always <laughs> feel like being an entrepreneur in some space was for you or was this an accident? I've always had an entrepreneurial bent. Even as a kid, I was creating small businesses, whether it be a camp for other kids or selling tapioca pudding. Like I had stuff going on constantly that I really enjoyed. And then I've long time been a foodie. So I was born in Berkeley, grew up in the DC area. My mom became a vegetarian really early in her life. So I grew up in a household where there was a consciousness around the food that we were eating. And so I think it was a pretty natural progression. I was interested in global health in college. I worked in finance and I worked at the intersection of business and finance at a couple of startups. And so striking out and building chip in as a way to kind of bring together everything that I had learned from working in coffee sourcing to a juice company has been almost like an exciting capstone moment <laughs> that has very much been in line with the other things that I worked on in the past. And tell me how you found it. Like, what are the challenges that you faced at the beginning that you see ahead? One of the things to your point in customer education is, you know, high level awareness can be challenging as an emerging company. And we are in an industry that is incredibly consolidated. And so that makes it... A when you say consolidated, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So when you're looking at the pet food supply chain, the meat processing industry is owned by four massive conglomerates that in beef, for instance, own up to 85% of the supply chain. So it's a lot like baby formula, where there actually is a need for diversification and people tapping into other protein sources. But it can be hard to break through when you're in 
an industry that's owned by big players. And so I think that's something where it's a really exciting opportunity for us to, to change a system. But getting going with that, of course, takes a lot of hustle and muscle. And we're really kind of creating a new roadmap when it comes to everything from our sourcing strategy to then sharing out with people, what is Silver Carp? Like, did you know what Silver Carp was before? I still don't know if I do. (laughs) (laughs) I know my dog dog loves the jerky. I know he loved it. Yeah, no, I do now, but only because of you. I didn't know what it was before that at all. For for anybody listening, it's an overpopulated fish. It's an invasive source domestically while we're importing more than 80% of our fish that we're consuming here. And it has the nutrition profile of the salmon. Clean, has omega-3s. It's an awesome superfood. It's amazing. It's amazing that you even know that. And I think, you know, I have a question for you about all that, because not only are you trying to create awareness among your ultimate consumers, but the industry that you're sort of taking on is like old school, right? So that must be really tough. I think that's what makes it so exciting, though, (laughs) because it really, it's not just that we're, you know, slapping a different label on something that is kind of the same product that has always been out there. It's something that's totally different. And then I think even for even for our customers, that's something that has been powerful and that they can feel like they're taking part in revolutionizing an industry. Mm-hmm. Like I just got off of a phone call with a customer who's um, what we call a ambassador, um, which is like a chip and ambassador, has a dog, social media account, special referral code. And he was saying how he really wants to do more. And he's he's on subscription, he gets treats every single month. But it's incredible how by, by like really kind of making a big sort of systemic change, it lends itself very well to us then bringing on collaborators who are maybe not paid employees, but they're like your customers. There are other people that are friends of customers that want to do what, whatever they can do to, to help. And, and that's pretty cool and inspiring for me and to think anybody else that's working on Tippin. I'm sure. I mean, I sort of know the answer to this, but pet people, I feel like in a lot of ways are more passionate than human people because pet have turned into our kids and they're, except for there's no well, there's a little bit of arguing sometimes, but not really, right? <laughs> really, they're just the sweetest, most delightful creatures. And so I think getting pet people to advocate for something like this feels like it might be a little bit different than trying to get people to advocate for a human food. Yeah, well, one of the things that a teammate of mine likes to say is pets bring people together, which is so true. And I think then also what we've tried to do is really mirror within our brand and our communication, like a sense of empowerment on the pet side. So we have little comic book strips where the dogs are saying, Hey, I want to reduce the ecopoprin or man, this is an overfish fish. Give me silver carp. And that adds a little bit of levity. And also it kind of drives home that we're not trying to shame anybody. We're not yeah, like creating something very prescriptive, like we would much rather take the approach of inspiring and bringing together a community of people to chip in, which is the origin of the name chipping in for pets and planet, rather than it being something that's like, 
scary to try to, you know, enact climate change. And so I think the pet parent community really lends itself well to that. And then we can make eco action fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you raised capital yet? We've raised proceed from a mix of individuals, strategic angels, and some venture money as well. How was that for you? Was it harder than you thought? Or tell me just a little bit about how you went, approached the process. It was my first time going through it. I don't know that I had a particular um, sense of what it would be like. So I think it more than anything was a learning process. And, yeah. But something that I think was really exciting in a way because it, it forces you to step back, get out of the day-to-day, look at the bigger picture of where you want to take the company, how you're going to get there, and really hone in on what the strategy is around that. I think it's exciting. You get to, it's almost, you know, there's some similarities to a podcast where you get to talk yeah. about the big vision. And I think that's a lot of fun. You think all the things that people are terrified of are exciting, which is a really good trait for an entrepreneur, right? So raising capital is really hard. And I think one of the most intimidating parts about starting a brand for most people, the fact that you're sort of approaching it from a, this is very exciting and it's a chance for me to step back. I love that you reframe all the things that are scary to people, taking on the big industry that's sort of set in their ways. And, you know, that's really amazing. And I'm just curious, does it ever feel hard to you? Do you ever get to a place like where you're like, Oh my God, what am I doing? I could have just had a job. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah. I think I would have to be a little crazy if that didn't ever happen to me. I mean, I had a corporate track that in a world in which we had pandemic and now we have economic mm-hmm. turmoil could have been very steady and lucrative. And so you know, at low moments, have I found myself wondering what if? Maybe, but it's brief. And then ultimately, I think that this is an experience that I feel really privileged to have been able to start a company, raise capital around it, start to see signs of success from product feedback to distribution, that there's no world in which me working elsewhere that I would be able to have the growth opportunities that I'm getting. That's amazing. Is there anyone you look to for inspiration? Are there brands that you love or people that you say, okay, I'm going to just listen to this for five minutes and get myself back on track? I think with the get myself back on track, usually it's stepping away from the business and going outside and walking with my dog or reconnecting with nature, not being on the computer that usually helps me reset more than anything. And so usually it's like taking a mini break and inspiration and kind of like mentorship standpoint, I've tried to really surround myself by a variety of different founders, investors, and I have longtime close friends who are also in business positions. So it's sort of depending on what the challenge is, I kind of have a a nice network of people that I'll tap into. Awesome. What's the biggest challenge you think you've had so far? I think actually in the early stages of the business, communicating the massive opportunity that Mm -hmm. is chip in and redefining an industry was something that took me a little while to hone into. We started with a cricket dog treat. And so I think we're at first kind of seen as, oh, it's a cricket company, (laughs) but that was never my intention. And so even the conversation that we had earlier around how we're the industry dynamics and how we're disrupting it, 
that was a bit of a challenge for me to really kind of set the roadmap and clarify how big I want this business to be. Yeah. And you have treats now. What do you want to have in a few years? Is it going to be that, or do you want to go into other kinds of nutrition? We have a innovation roadmap that includes foods for dogs. And then also we've dabbled in poppers. So we have, we have a cricket mm-hmm. popper available now, which also works to support gut health. And so there's really kind of like a supplement benefit as well. Yeah. Uh, and then as we look at moving forward, we have the food technology and capabilities really to expand into other animal categories as well. And so we get a lot of requests for cats. So that's very high on our priority list as well. And from a distribution standpoint, how are you guys feeling about where you are right now? And what's that process been like? That has been something that has been really interesting coming from a background of having worked in human food. Pet is really a category in which there's a lot of channel exclusivity. And so before having a robust product suite, you have to be very deliberate about the channel partners that you have because you can kind of exclude yourself from other folks very quickly. And so we do our business is about 75% to 25% supporting wholesale. And so we dabbled in some pet specialty partnerships at the beginning of 2020. And then when as we're just getting going and then COVID hit and very quickly saw that pet was one of the leading categories in there being a shift to e-com much faster than had been previously projected. And so we decided to focus more on our e-com platform with that and then partner with strategic marketplaces that have our customer. And so we went live with Grove Collaborative late in 2021 And then we've just gone live with Thrive Market, which is another partner that had been a really exciting kind of dream partner that we've been seeking to partner with for a little while. That is exciting. I didn't know they had pet on there. That's really cool. With the COVID boom, pet has become more of a focus category for a handful of retailers and marketplaces. That's really great. So what has to happen for you to scale the way you want to in your mind? Like what needs to happen next? I think there are two big things on the horizon for us over the course of the next year. One is we will be raising capital to fund growth because now we've set an infrastructure. We have our supply chain from sourcing to manufacturing design. And then two is we now have a model that has worked really well in e-com and in these other marketplace platforms. And so we will be moving more and more into retail. Uh, so we're setting that up later 2022 and really expanding that. In 2020. Exciting. So exciting. Is there anything you'd say to people who are in the early stages of thinking about starting a brand? What would you tell them? Like, do this, don't do this, lessons? I really think that it's very important to know your sub-industry and be cognizant of how you're differentiated within that sub-industry and what the go-to-market pathway 
that's most appropriate for that is because trying to kind of apply the model of if I looked at a beverage company and tried to do the same thing with Chippin, that's not going to happen. So there are some similarities and maybe the way that you think about some core elements of packaging design or supply chain diversification. But a lot of it is really being thoughtful about what is your business like? what's important for your business to grow and what is your true competitive advantage. Yeah. You know, I talk to a lot of brands and oftentimes something that comes up is about how easy as an entrepreneur it is to get distracted by things like that aren't really right in front of you, like over-innovating, getting over-distributed, not being able to support retailers. Do you think about those things and do you have a way to stay focused? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think some of it has been trial and error for me. And so part of the approach that we've taken is really heavy on testing. And so even with the jerky that we came out with last year, we first released it on our own website. We did a very kind of small run of it. We enabled access to our existing customers, got feedback. And so we try to take the approach of not going like a thousand percent in on anything until we have some clear proof points of this works. It's something that we can scale up uh, before running with it. Yeah, I think that's really smart. I mean, otherwise you could be all over the place and then you'd quickly run out of money, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anything else that you want to share? I mean, I think there's so much great stuff in here, but anything else you feel like people need to know about Chippin or about your journey? I think. One of the things that's been so exciting about working on Chippin for me is that combination of we really are driving high quality nutrition that with the very simple act of getting a bag of dog treats can enable you to save 40 gallons of water or up to 200 with some of our other flavors. And so that's been a lot of fun for me. And then something too, where when we look at our pathway to grow, really, we're still a small business growing quickly. So if you enjoy the episode, then give Chippin a try. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's so great. I love it. I love your story. I love that you're disrupting an industry that needs disruption so badly. So yeah, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.